Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams. I'm joined, as always, by Christian Simmons. This is episode three. You can find both of us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and you go ahead and throw Night Sports Now a follow at Night Sports Now while you're at it. That's where you can find our written work from time to time. Basically, whenever Christian and I feel like writing words about UCF, that's where it ends up. That or Twitter. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, episode three, we don't have necessarily as much uh, to get into this week. Uh, it's not as heavy of a news week as the first two podcasts, which is kind of something that we're thankful for. But first of all, Christian, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm just excited we got to a podcast without some program altering news for UCF breaking before we filmed or before we recorded. It's the first time that's happened. Yeah, that is the first time it's happened, although I still am a little bit worried that this podcast will drop on Friday morning, Friday afternoon-ish, and immediately will become useless like our first one kind of was um, just a couple days later. So hopefully that's not the case. But before uh, we jump into the first topic, I'll just kind of give a quick rundown of what we're going on, what's going on tonight. We've got uh, a couple big topics talking about some big UCF recruiting news. And we'll jump into basketball. Finally, we talked about how, you know, on the first episode, we were supposed to talk about basketball. And then we said, oh, we'll do that next week. And then Josh Heupel left. So we were like, okay, well, basketball is going to get pushed back again. So we'll talk basketball tonight. And then finally, we'll bring in our, our great friend, Sarah Kelleher, uh, on for the final segment where we'll kind of just give you guys a chance to kind of get to know our UCF backgrounds a little bit more, our favorite players, favorite games, favorite moments in UCF history. And we thought there was no better person to bring on uh, for that segment than Sarah, who we experienced a lot of those moments and games with. So, man, moving in, big topic number one, um, last Saturday, uh, kind of got some hints leading up to last Saturday that this could be happening, but a uh, four-star recruit athlete from Hawaii, the number three player in Hawaii, Titus Mokiao, Mokiao Atimalala, I think I pronounced that right, committed to UCF over, man, a, a wealth of other schools, and it's a huge get for UCF and Christian. He committed to UCF despite the fact that there's no AD in place and there's no head coach in place. So kind of what we're going to get into right now is what does that say about UCF? Um, I'm just not even going to try to say his last name. So he's going to be Titus for the rest of this podcast for the record. So Titus. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little torn to be honest with you. Obviously it's a very, very big deal that they got him, especially given what they lost to that position, uh, 10th highest rated recruit in UCF's program history. Um, part of me though, is I feel like we do need to remember a little bit that Dylan Gabriel was sort of the driving factor here. I think that Hawaii connection really was a big part of why he chose to come here, but yeah, no, it's still certainly a big deal that, because it's this whole idea that UCF has tried to pitch itself on for years now. I mean, even going back to the O'Leary days when he was here for more than a decade is that this program is bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one entity. And it's really just this program is sort of a driving force that's going to keep moving forward. And Titus committing absolutely feeds that argument that you not only don't have a coaching staff, you don't even have an AD. So it's not like you're clued in on who a coach is going to be or if any current staff will be there. And what does Titus do? Well, he goes and talks to interim coach Randy Shannon. And then just says, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to, this is what I was planning to do. And I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to commit to UCF and become their 10th highest rated recruit ever, even though they do not, even though I have no idea who my coach is going to be next year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it says a lot about the faith he's putting in UCF as a, as a program in general and as a brand, of course, Dylan's uh, connection with him obviously played the biggest role I would say, but it's still, yeah, I think it's still a huge get for UCF, especially after a week where it seemed like, you know, no one really knew what was coming next. It was, you know, Danny White was gone one week to Josh Heupel left the next week. And, you know, UCF still in the process of looking for a new AD and looking for a new head coach after that. But yeah, to, to get an athlete, to get a player like him, who, I mean, if you just watch some of the guys highlights and some of his tape from high school, uh, he, he looks like an exciting player. And considering what this offense typically looks like at UCF, he looks like he'll fit right in and, He'll be, a, he'll be a fun guy to watch. And I think, like you said, the idea that, you know, no one player, no one person is bigger than the program. I've always, I've always liked to think that. And I've always liked to feel that way because you see sometimes where guys will decommit from somewhere or they'll commit somewhere and then the coach leaves and then it kind of leaves them in a, in a tough position. And, you know, it sucks for the players when that happens, obviously. Um, and then people will say, oh, that's why you commit to the program, not the coach but it doesn't always really work like that. It can't always work like that because, you know, you're being recruited in a lot of cases, you're being recruited to a place by the coaches. So, you know, it's, it's not always the case where that can be. So it's nice to see this. And it's nice to see this happen at UCF uh, with a player of uh, Titus's caliber. 
I mean, that just seems seemed like a great thing. And we saw a tweet from Mac Loudermilk on Saturday night that really summed it up, I think, perfectly. I really enjoyed this tweet. He said, that commitment just goes to show it's about the brotherhood with the locker room, coaches come and go, but the bonds you make with your teammates last a lifetime. And that's obviously not going to apply. Not every, not every player, not every recruit is going to subscribe to that feeling or that thought. But the fact that Titus Mokiao Atimalala really, he did seem to think that, you know, his connection with Dylan Gabriel and, and what he's seen from UCF uh, was worth committing to without a coach. I think it's, it puts UCF kind of up on a, I don't know. I can't really see this happening too many other places in the group of five. Christian, I know, you know, we kind of like to talk about UCF as like on a different stratosphere in the group of five than a lot of other programs. And I think this in a way is kind of evidence of that. Yeah, I think UCF is, and and, and also, and, and you can see that too, because also I know that you can say, and I just point out that Dylan Gabriel's a big part of it. I feel like it's fair to say at this point that 2021 will be Gabriel's last year at UCF. I don't really think anyone's expecting him to stick around for a senior season. You would think, yeah. You're shaking your head like you don't completely agree with me. but No, I mean, I, I mostly agree with you, but we just kind of see, we'll see what happens with the season, you know. You never know. Yeah, you do. He's leaving. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I think it just shows, I mean, Titus obviously doesn't plan to be here for a year because it's not the way that works. So he clearly thinks, and I do think a big part of it too, even without who the coach is, is yeah, UCF's built itself a brand. And I think that more than anything is what's differentiated UCF from the rest of the group of five is there are not, there are a group of five teams that have successful seasons. I mean, you just saw Memphis went to the Cotton Bowl last year and we'll see what Cincinnati does with their success. But UCF and Boise are really the only ones that built brands around that. And you see that everywhere. I mean, UCF obviously had a down year in 2020. They're still a very respected program. And that's just, it, it's sort of somehow, and maybe going to three near six bowls helps it. They broke out of that flash in the pan type scenario that I feel like a lot of people lob group of fives in with. Like it's hard. It's just, there aren't a lot of sustained success group of five programs. And it's good that UCF's kind of leading the way on that along with Boise State. Yeah. And I think, I think we saw that the first year, you know, in 2017, not necessarily the first year to us, because back in 2013, when they went to the Fiesta Bowl and won that, that was really the beginning, it seemed like. But a lot of people felt in 2017, after UCF went undefeated and, you know, was knocking on the door of the playoffs, everyone was like, oh, well, UCF has to prove, Kirk Herbstreit was a big one. He was like, you have to prove, you know, year in and year out that you're a program that can do this consistently before you're actually going to get a shot. UCF proved it consistently, you know, over the next couple of years and still didn't really get a shot. But, you know, that's, that's what everybody likes to say. And, and it's good to see that UCF has kind of built itself in that direction. And just because we have to bring this up, it's kind of the polar opposite of what's happened over in, I guess it's, it's considered South Florida to them, but at USF, because we've had a couple of, uh, a couple of quotes come out about South Florida this week that uh, I feel like are worth talking about. First, we had uh, an assistant coach quoted in an article about the UCF job basically saying that, you know, UCF is on a different level than what USF is on. I don't remember the exact quote, but basically said, you know, UCF is, has said, hey, you know, we're a school in Florida and, you know, we want to be power five. Was that what it was? It was, we want to be power five, but USF's been more like, hey, we're a school in Florida. Yeah, USF's pitches, hey, we're in Florida and UCF's pitches, hey, we're a future power five in Florida. Yeah, and that's that's just how that's just how it really is right now. That's how it stands. And Christian, I know you have a little bit more info on a quote from a certain Kansas City Chiefs player who went to South Florida. Um, he said on on Thursday that uh, the Super Bowl crowd on Sunday will be a little bit similar to what he's used to. Yeah, this was from the uh, Tampa Bay Times. It was uh, Austin Ryder. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, center for the Chiefs, uh, who played at USF, and he was asked about how weird is it going to be that you're going to be playing in, you know, it's the Super Bowl, but it's only going to be, you know, maybe 20% capacity at Raymond James, I forget exactly what it was. And he said, oh, it's funny, because that'll just pretty much be the crowd that I saw throughout college. So that's pretty much where uh, where USF is at. <laughs> Yikes, man. That's just when your former players and your former assistants are saying that about you, you know, the state of your program, you know, you've got some work to do. Which I don't, gonna... <laughs> I don't think anyone's like it, 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 expecting that USF should be like filling Raymond James, like he did no. the best of years, but they, it, it's, and I know they've been bad the last couple of years, but even it's, when they were good, they just can't get fans to their games. No, it's bad. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the value of having an on-campus stadium. And I know there's some USF fans that are sticking to their guns and saying, Oh, you know, if we're going to have a stadium like UCF's on our campus, we'd rather just play in Raymond James, but no, that's not how it works. That's not how it ever works. And, you know, I think if, if they had an on-campus stadium, things might be a lot better for them there. But we're not going to dwell too much on South Florida. We'll, you know, we'll get into that at a, at a later date, I'm sure. Um, 
So I think, yeah, and like we, like I said earlier, it's time to transition into some UCF basketball talk real quick, just because, you know, this is uh, you know, what's really in season right now for UCF. And um, both the men's and women's programs are kind of in, going in different directions, it feels like, and, and it's not necessarily the men's team's fault, but they're sitting at four and nine, two and eight in the AAC. And really, it just all trails back to that break they had because of COVID. They had COVID uh, issues within the program. And, you know, I think they practiced like once in 11 days. And they've really just been on a slide since, haven't really been able to recover. Um, you know, Christian, what have you kind of seen from UCF basketball? I know there's been some frustrating results as of late. Um, you know, losing back-to-back games at Memphis after a tough overtime loss at Wichita State. And, you know, things just don't really get easy, aren't really getting easier for this program. And it's 2020 just kind of a lost year because of COVID anyway. Yeah, it's frustrating. I, so before the COVID outbreaks hit, they started three and two, which doesn't necessarily sound like an impressive start until you take the schedule into account. They beat Auburn, who was the SEC runner-up last year. They went and broke FSU's however many game-long winning streak at home. Their only losses were to Michigan and a tight loss to Houston, who Houston, before getting upset by ECU last night, had been one of the top teams in the nation. Since the COVID outbreak, they're one and seven. I, the whole season just got derailed. And I don't want to be someone who just says, oh, that's completely on COVID because it's not entirely. I feel like the other thing they're running up against at this point is just it, there's a lot of youth on that team, and I feel like they've just kind of hit a wall a little bit. And I do think COVID set that off, but it's unfortunate because I think this team could have been special. And it's really unfortunate because you've got these two transfers, Brandon Mahan and Darius Perry, who came in, and it was kind of like, what can we build around them? And now they're just going to kind of leave, never having had a good year at ECF, yeah. which, which uh, the flip side of that is you've got Isaiah Adams, C.J. Walker, Dre Fuller, Darren Green, all these young guys who will be back and they have a nice foundation. So I hope that no one's jumping into the, which they, which I still laugh at UCF fans in a nutshell to me is that fire Johnny Dawkins was a thing in what ended up being their best season ever, like midway through the season. But I hope no one's jumping on that train now because this is just a lot of kind of what's out of your control. I mean, we've seen that for a lot of teams and yes, some have risen above it. I don't think that's necessarily a mark of good coaching. I think it's just, teams have been hit differently and UCF had a lot of potential COVID kind of took that potential away. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned the youth on the team and it felt like early on in the season, they, you know, they had that big win against Auburn and then, you know, kind of hung around with Michigan, who's, you know, one of the better teams in the nation and then got blown out in the second half. It felt like, but then after that, they ended up going on to, to win that game at FSU and then played, played Houston tough. And then I think it beat Cincinnati right before everything went downhill with COVID. And it just kind of felt like, yeah, they were three and two, but they had some had some nice wins. They were kind of building around, um, you know, some of these young guys, and they were kind of developing. They were on the right track, and then to get completely thrown off track like that, and not have the time and the practices to really gel as a team, and really kind of keep building towards that upward trajectory. I think the the break really has just the the break from COVID. It really has it has impacted things a lot, and like you said, it's not all COVID because everybody's kind of having to deal with it themselves. That's just what this year and last year and a half, I guess now, well, not year and a half, but the last year or so has been in a lot of sports. But it just it really sucks because obviously early in the season there were a lot of high hopes, and now it's just kind of feels like a chore sometimes. I think to watch UCF basketball at this point because it's just so frustrating. You know, there's there's a lot of talent, but it's just it's not clicking right now, and. Like you said, you know, there, there are a lot of pieces and, and they'll build, they'll build toward the, the right direction heading into next year. And yeah, if you're jumping on a fire Johnny Dawkins train right now, I just, I don't know. I don't feel like I have the words or the, the energy to spend on, you know, responding to your thoughts on that because, you know, Johnny Dawkins has done a great job in his, in his time at UCF and, you know, a, a season like this one with all the COVID situations and the youth that he's had, that he's been dealing with, you know, it has, it has nothing to, you can't say anything negative or you can't say this is a mark against Johnny Dawkins at all. Yeah, I mean, this is going to, assuming it plays out this way, which it will, this is going to be his first losing season as UCF's head coach, which I, I don't know if for you younger fans, if you don't remember, but uh, pre Johnny Dawkins, that was just kind of a losing season was also just referred to as a season for UCF men's basketball. <laughs> so I think it's exciting that those are bad years now. Because, I mean, literally, the, I, I, I feel like most people probably who are listening to this have, were at least around since UCF joined the AAC. If you're not, let me refresh. So in Conference USA, UCF was like an okay to good basketball program. They'd occasionally pop off for like 21s. They never really got to any postseason tournaments because of the conference they were in. Occasionally, like the what's the really stupid one? The CBI, CIT, something like that. I think, it, well, the CBI is like the third tier, and then I think there's even a lower tier than that. It was one of those they'd occasionally go to. It was one of the ones where it's like, well, here's thousands of dollars. Can we come play in your tournament? And they're like, sure. 
But anyway, so it just was a whatever program. Donnie Jones was the coach. Then they came to the AAC, which had like actual good basketball teams. And like, I don't even like have it. Like it was a joke year in and year out. Like I I would go to basketball games just because like whatever, they were fun, but there was no expectation of anything but a losing season every year. So what Johnny Dawkins has done is nothing short of remarkable. And we're going to go get right after this, we're going to get into what Abe did, which makes what Johnny Dawkins did look not even that impressive because you think men's basketball was a joke. (laughs) Women's basketball was horrible. But either way, so it's just for men's basketball to wrap up on them before we get into women's. Yeah, it's unfortunate that this year got taken down, but that happens, especially in this weird year. And I'm not worried about the long-term trajectory of that program at all. No, I don't, I don't think anyone really can be. And like you mentioned, we're going to get into the women's team. And what Coach Abe has done since she arrived at UCF has been really, really, really impressive. I mean, they've just – they hit 20 wins every year, and that's just kind of like – they just seem like they do it pretty casually. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's a casual 21 season, but like just a few years – or a year before Abe got here, what were they like? seven and 23 or something like that i don't and, I, I almost and, want to pull it up to check myself but i think they didn't break 10 wins in what the two or three years before she i arrived? think it was at least i think i want to say it was at least two i think they won seven games one year and nine games another year maybe it was 10 i don't know but yeah which, it was which just, for the record is like is literally the football equivalent of like oh and 12 like that's remarkable to win that few games in a season yeah i mean especially when you think of like the teams that are probably on your schedule earlier in the season and, and just kind of the gimme games if you only win the gimme games and then just fall apart the rest of the season that's, uh, that's kind of what UCF women's basketball was doing for the longest time, but that's, that hasn't been the case since Coach Abe got here. And, and right now, um, they're 9-2, and 7-1 and one in the AAC, and they were supposed to have a really big matchup against South Florida on Sunday. South Florida's having a great season themselves and, and leading the pack right now, but UCF's right on their tail. Unfortunately, um, you know, women's basketball had gotten to an 11, like to 11, they'd played 11 games before having to deal with a, a COVID issue, and Right now, they've had, I think, two or three games postponed and um, haven't played in, I think, over a week now. And it just it sucks to see this, this momentum and, and everything um, that they've been building toward this season and, and past seasons as well kind of gets halted by COVID. We'll see how they deal with it and if, if they can kind of weather the storm after um, they get past it. We, we obviously hope so. Um, because you know that that game against USF this Sunday, it was it was going to be a really big one. It it in whenever it does get played, I believe it's rescheduled for early March. I believe is when those two teams will meet. And which I, I, very... I sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to yeah. jump in really quick before we get too far away. I for UCF fans who aren't who don't follow women's basketball, I, for the record, that conference is like what we've always wanted football to be. Like it, the conference now is USF and UCF. And that's yeah. awesome to me. Like those are the two premier programs that go. And so it sucks that game got postponed, but I just like really for UCF fans, if you look at war and I four matchups that matter, that's one that matters. Yeah. And I mean, and when you, when UConn now leaves the, the AAC and it leaves, you know, an opportunity to take the top of the conference, USF and UCF are the two that are, you know, fighting for it. And it's, it's going to be fun for years to come as, as long as coach Abe is here. And as long as I know Jose Fernandez at USF is, has been there for a while and has been done a great job there that's going to be kind of the marquee, um, you know, the marquee battle in women's basketball for, for the AAC, which is really cool to see. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see how, how they kind of respond to this, you know, COVID outbreak or I don't want to say outbreak, like it's a massive thing. We don't really know the extent of it, but they've had a few games postponed now and are kind of waiting to get back on the court. So, you know, obviously I think this team may be in a little bit of a better position than men's basketball was, to kind of just bounce back and, and seamlessly return to the court might be a little bumpy at first, but I think they have the, the talent or the, not the talent, I say the talent because men's basketball is talented too, but I want to say they have the pieces in place and the, the structure in place to kind of readjust better once this COVID stuff is, is past them a little bit. Well, I, I also just think that they were much more gelled as a team before this hit. I think, right. break, and I think we'll see this across leagues teams this year is that I think outbreaks later in the season hurt you less than very early I feel like men's basketball was integrating a lot of new players still kind of figuring out their identity and then COVID hit women's basketball has been a machine and I think that situates them better I've got a stat for you about UCF women's basketball so for those of you who don't know we just mentioned it UConn which in women's basketball as I'm sure you know is like the whatever the, the they're Alabama they're not, that's not even a they're good better comparison. than Alabama yeah, it, yeah. It, there'd be Alabama if Alabama actually won every single year and never lost games which Alabama's close to that, but like, it, not quite. Like UConn women, make they're sure. they are notch above Alabama, which that in itself is is actually <laughs> insane. insane. And they were in UCF's conference, which meant I, I believe they went their whole run in the AAC without ever losing an AAC game. 
which is crazy. But anyway, so that left this power vacuum when they left. So I have a stat for you. UCF women's basketball under Abe went 0-9 against UConn, which sounds bad, but that's literally just what everyone did. Against the rest of the AAC under Abe, up to today, women's basketball is 52-11. and 52-11. and 11. That's freaking insane. So there is this power vacuum now that UConn's gone. I see, and obviously the AAC championship comes with a tourney bid. I truly think if Abe sticks around, women's basketball, UCF women's basketball can truly become a dynasty level team within their conference, similar to what, and even past what football has done in the AAC. No, yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said, they were 0-9 against UConn. And if you look at those nine games, I think, I don't know how many of them, maybe there was like one or two where it wasn't close, um, close, you know, in UConn relative terms, but UCF played them really tough in a lot of, in a lot of games. I remember I covered uh, one of those games at the arena back when it was CFE arena. I was about to say CFD. Um, and I remember seeing, you know, Gino Oriema in the, his press conference post game, and he just seemed frustrated. I think that UConn ended up winning the game by like 20 points or so, but he just seemed like just exasperated by like how his team performed coach Abe and you know the the kind of basketball uh her and her staff like promote and play I think it it just it had him exasperated and he was like talking you know he had nothing but good things to say about UCF while also kind of feeling like really down on his own team and it was kind of just interesting because like they had just won the game pretty easily pretty handily but it kind of just gave me a glimpse that UCF women's basketball really is you know a, a different animal in terms of you know what they can be in the AAC um so yeah, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic program right now. And um, we'll see what kind of happens after the, the COVID break. And hopefully they can get back on the court on Wednesday. I believe Wichita State is supposed to be their next game on Wednesday. So we'll see if that happens um, in the next few days or so. But, you know, moving away from basketball, we're going to get back into some football talk. And like we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about some, some good old trips down memory lane. And no better person to bring that on than Sarah Kelleher. Sarah, we have you know, we've known Sarah for uh, three or four years now, I think. She wrote with us at, at Night Sports Now. She also took some amazing pictures. And now you might know her as the Green Bay Lady because she tweets about the Packers and covers the Packers all the time. And Sarah, it's awesome to have you on. We're so excited to talk to you. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I feel like it's just three pals um, taking a trip down memory lane right now. So that's always fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. I know we've uh, been guests on each other's Packers and Bucks podcast, but I at least right now, <laughs> not you, Christian. Poor Christian. Christian, this doesn't concern you. Sorry. At least, yeah, you can just turn your screen off and everything. I'll just leave. Good. Sarah's the new co-host. I'm actually leaving the podcast. It was a good three episodes. Bye. It was a fun. It was a good run. Yeah, but. Anyways, um, so I'm just excited that we're all talking about the same team and I don't have to pretend that I'm Bailey's friend um, on this <laughs> podcast right now. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you said it was, like a, a tr- it was like a trip down memory lane with friends. Maybe it, it feels like that because it is like that. I don't know, unless you're still holding some NFL stuff against me, but we won't get into that. Uh, what we are going to get into is right first we're going to talk about our favorite UCF players. And, you know, we're largely focusing on football here, but we can throw in some others. Uh, in in this in the same conversation, but Sarah, we'll start with you since you're our guest of honor. Um, you know who's who's some of your favorite players. Start with I guess one of your favorite players of all time at UCF. Yeah, so I mean this one is kind of a gimme, but I, it's Shaquem Griffin. I just think his story is not only amazing, but he was absolutely dominant in his latter years at UCF, and he was able to inspire so many people. And in addition to that, like being on the media side of it, he was also just a very kind person to everyone. He always treated everyone with respect, whether that was his teammates, his coaches. Um, He worked with a lot of charities and different groups. And I was an intern at Limitless Solutions at UCF. And I know he worked with the kids there a few times and that was awesome to see. But you know, there's so many great memories about with Shaquem and like specifically, I always go back to the Peach Bowl and just thinking about that and the game that he had there and really just watching him basically make a lot of money that game. Because after that, you were like, yep, he's getting drafted. He is 100% getting drafted. And I, during the draft, I was in the movie theater. Um, I was actually watching Infinity War 
And I, I remember I was texting Christian and I told him, I'm like, he's going to get drafted in like the two hours that I'm seeing this movie. Like, I know this is going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. So I had to like run to the bathroom in the middle of the movie to like look up the video. And he's just an awesome guy. And he's a UCF legend forever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Shaquem's definitely on my list as well. Um, you know, I, I got to UCF in 2016 like you did. So kind of seeing what he did under Scott Frost after kind of just being an afterthought and seemingly unwanted by the previous coaching staff, what he was able to do in that first year uh, under Frost was pretty excellent to watch. Uh, obviously won some honors at the end of the year. And then, you know, that 2017 season, he was the heartbeat of that defense and so much fun to watch such an incredible story um, in just how it's continued into to the NFL. I mean, the fact that he was invited to the combine, he ends up getting drafted by the same team that drafted his brother, his twin brother, Shaquille, and, you know, I just, it, I love Shaquem, man. And then like he said, um, with his, just the way he treated everyone, it was just anytime we got to talk to him in the media, he was just, you know, smiling ear to ear, happy to be there. And I just always really appreciated getting the chance to talk to him. So Shaquem's definitely one of the guys on my list as well. He was a super nice guy with the media. And that's not to say there weren't any UCF players, at least in the time we covered where I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy. He's mean. Like they were all great guys, but he just like, he just kind of understood I don't know, like just kind of, he just kind of got it. And that's when I knew he was going to be big, especially outside of football, because he really gets how to reach people and how to talk to people. And that showed up. He made your job easier. Yeah. Like when you went and you would talk to him, he made your job easier. And like, like you said, it was never like, oh, we have to talk to these players today or these coaches. But it was like when Shaquem came, it was like, yes, we get to talk to Shaquem today because he always had something to say. For the record, when you said these coaches, it was that way when Heupel talked. (laughs) I still don't know what the heck we were supposed to write. Oh, I don't. Ever said. Yeah, every story with Heupel was the same exact thing because what he said the same seven. They attacked quotes. in all three phases oh, of the game. <laughs> be like, Coach, what do you see from Memphis? And he's like, Well, I think that we just need to be violent and disruptive and be relentless. <laughs> it's Thanks, the same Coach. Thing over and over. I don't know. This really, we really had to make this set this segment into a Heupel a Heupel segment, didn't we? Uh, well, I'm still recovering my reputation as Hypel Defender on Twitter. So. <laughs> so you had to say something. Yeah, I had okay. to say something anti hypo That's fair. Well, you know, I'm kind of kind of transition into another one of, I feel like something that we're all going to have something to say about um, from the Hypel era, and that's Greg McRae. Greg McRae, in the tw- like, you know, mostly, you know, most of the 2018 season was very good, but just that latter half of the 2018 season, I just was absolutely just, it, he was electric. And I was just like drawn to the guy because here's a walk-on who just didn't really play that much in, in previous times. And then all of a sudden he just breaks out onto the scene and he has a 1000 yard rushing season. And it's just, it was so much fun to watch. And anytime you got the ball, you just thought he's going to break through the line and score. He's going to run, you know, get a 30 yard touchdown or he's going to do something fun. So I just remember, I think particularly, I want to say uh, I might be wrong, but I feel like that Navy game in 2018, I feel like he had a big game and I know he definitely had a big game against South Florida after that. So Definitely uh, one of my favorites, and of course, you guys know my my history with tweeting about Greg McRae and his Heisman hopes. Unfortunately, never came to fruition, but I think he still deserved a Heisman. He's and like I said, when he announced his his decision to leave UCF, I think he deserves a Heisman for the person he is off the field as well. Because like like Shaquem, he just is a great guy and and did a lot to lead UCF uh, both on and off the field, especially this past year. Uh, is it either of you can correct me if I'm wrong is it safe to say I feel like all of us would probably agree Greg McRae is our favorite UCF player just ever probably I think I I think so I think it's become it's crazy to think that just because of all the people that I have on my list but yeah I think I think he's just become so tied in my UCF fandom that would probably be the case I mean I this is going to sound dumb and I know I'm alone on this but like him and it was kind of one of the things we knew it was coming but him announcing he was going to the draft like I felt worse that day than I did when Milton announced he was going to FSU like it was I just sad he sad was day. such a it's such a rare story for someone who literally walked on and just became this amazingly electric player I mean that second half of 2018 he freaking took over I mean he was just unstoppable of course USF the game with Milton's injury he had three touchdowns that game just I mean completely took over and and uh and horns down can't forget horns down but I just, he was just, and off the field, he was just such a great guy and a great person. And it, he was just kind of that combo of everything <laughs> that just makes it be like, I want this guy to play for my team forever. Yeah, yeah. And I think in addition to all of those things that you guys already said, he was also maybe the most photogenic person on the team. Like somehow <laughs> I was always in the right spot in the end zone. And it, it, it was in the 2018 season 
almost every single home game, I had a shot of Greg McRae literally looking straight at my camera. And it was always like the best part. Like I was like, oh, there we go. I, I, I don't have to take any more photos the rest of the day because that was awesome. Um, and so I always appreciated that. And um, he, he's always someone too, which this is like a very rare and picky thing. Um, but he always gave photo credit to people, like whether it was me or any of the other photographers that were from UCF or from Night News or Jason Beatty, anyone else who took a photo of him, he would always tag or, or DM and say, thank you so much. And it was, it's just like taking that extra step and it, it makes you feel like, oh, okay, someone's like really appreciating what I'm doing. So it, it, he's awesome. You gotta that think after weird. a while. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think it's, it just says the kind of about, a lot about the kind of guy he is. And I think you have to think after a while that season, he was literally, he got in the end zone and he was like, all right, I got to find Sarah. Like, I, I got to find that camera. <laughs> because it's just it, every time the, the kind of pictures you would end up getting where he's just looking dead into the camera, doing something with his hands. The it was just, Greg McRae for Heisman photo. Yeah. That was one of the photos that I took. You yeah, can so, see that photo. I forget which game <laughs> that's from. Was that SC State 2018? I, feel I like it think was. it was. Yeah. I hate that I knew that because I remembered the photo and I was like, oh, that was the black Nighthead jersey with white helmet. They've only done that <laughs> once. But um, I literally, when you, if you watch online the AAC recaps of the games, you can see that photo happening. After the play, you see Sarah in the background doing this and Greg McCray leans in and does his little pose. There was yeah. when like in like the latter half of 2018 when UCF really started to get legitimate national media attention and a lot of the games were then on, like they were on ABC and not like, some random FS1 or whatever channel it would be on. Um, so my parents actually had access to watch it. And they would like text me when I'm like working the games and trying to take photos. And they're like, we saw you in the end zone. Like you were there. And I'm like, yes, that's where I am. <laughs> You're like, that's Every how photography game. works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Greg, Greg, I think it's safe to say is in all of our eyes, just an absolute gem of a person, of a football player. And man, I wish he would have come back, came back for another year, but he's moved on. Um, I wish he'd come back for all the years. Well, yeah, I mean, I, if he could have stayed forever, I'd roll like we, under I different wish, names. Keep it yeah, going. no, I I wish we would have gotten like the Michael Kulubiali treatment with Greg McRae, just because <laughs> I, I could have watched Greg McRae in a UCF uniform for the rest of my life. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna move on here. Sarah, do you have any other that you wanted to mention um, before we move on to our favorite memories and, and games and all that? Yeah, so I had a non-football related one. Ooh. And this one is like old, old UCF legend. And that's Michelle Akers. Okay, I was wondering if that's where you're going with that. I love that. That's good. Like, she is a legend yep. and so many people forget that she went to UCF and that she was a legend at UCF before she went and put, played professional soccer and then was on the 99 Women's World Cup team. I, I just pulled some of her stats because I was looking at this today. And let's just read, I have my fancy iPad up here. Hold on. Let's just read <laughs> some of these stats. Four-time All-American in 1984, 1986, 1987, and 1988 and was UCF's Athlete of the Year in 1988 and 89. All-time leading scorer in UCF history, 134 points, ranked second on UCF's career list in goals with 52, and assists with 30, and led UCF to three NCAA tournament appearances, including the Final Four in 1987 and the NCAA quarterfinals in 1988. So that, that's insane. And then she, in college, won all of these like individual awards to like Player of the Year. She was the first one to ever win the Herman Trophy for women's soccer. Like they were just like, oh, Michelle Akers is so awesome. We have to make an award for her. Um, so that uh, she's just incredible. And I, when I was going through and prepping for this, I'm like, I, we can't not mention her in this conversation because yes, there are many fantastic athletes and also really entertaining characters in general that were just fun to be around when we were on campus and before us and there will be more after us. But yeah. Michelle Akers, legend, queen, I'm, all of it. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought her up because really it just how rare is it for, and as UCS profile has, has grown, I think there's going to be more of these, these types of players, but a literal icon in women's soccer and, and just what she did on the national team and professionally, just for that, that person to be tied to UCF forever. And she, yeah, she's a legend, an absolute icon. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought her up. Um, personally for me, I, I want to, you know, obviously shout out Mackenzie Milton. Um, Mackenzie Milton was a guy that what? I liked. 
I liked from from day one. I know Christian's sarcastically saying what as if I wasn't on the McKenzie Milton train back in 2016, even while everyone was. You, know, you really were. You and me used to argue in 2016 yeah. when I would be like, <laughs> when I would be like, you know, I, I, you can go, I'm not even going to hide it because you can go in my tweets and see it. I, all of 2016, I was like, Mackenzie Milton is horrible and yeah. they need a different quarterback. Then they recruited Noah Vedrill. I was like a set. And the whole time Bailey over here was like, no, he's the guy. He's the guy. No, he, yeah. He's not that <laughs> he was. And see, like Christian, we mess with you about that all the time. But the thing I respect is that you can at least admit it. Like you'll be like, you can go back and look that I had this horrendous take that deserves to be on freezing <laughs> cold takes. Whereas other people will like delete their tweets or they're like, no, I never said that. That's then, not what I meant. People we will like miss no you them on, on social media. And then they, so kudos to you for at least being like, my opinion sucked and, <laughs> and I know I'm wrong. So. It's true. It's true. I don't but, think I said it in those exact words, but yeah, probably not. But, and then and before, wrong? Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, you're not wrong. It was, yeah. it was a bad opinion, but you know, we all have bad opinions from time to time. Um, before we move on to Christian's final, final few mentions, um, I just kind of wanted to go off with some of my own non-football uh, players and actually wait I have to go back to football Blake Bortles is like the first one for me because um, you know I started following UCF around the time he was there and really got connected to UCF throughout the 2013 season so special shout out to Blake Bortles um, but non, non-football wise and baseball I was always a really big fan of Matthew Micah just an absolute personality uh, on and off the field he was the same um, just a really fun guy to talk to really fun guy to watch uh, basketball kind of in the same way Chad Brown was just I was just drawn to Chad Brown because the guy was electric and he just brought the energy at all times and was just a huge fan of of what he was doing and then another person I had kind of like limited interactions with her just I had a class with her but KK Wright for women's basketball I think is, is someone that I'll, I was always rooting for because she just seemed like a genuine nice person and she was uh, fantastic on the basketball court as well so definitely someone that I, I always keep in my mind as as somebody that really has a special place uh, in terms of my UCF fandom. For sure. And I'll go ahead and because I want us to have time to uh, talk about our favorite moments too. So I just want to get through mine really quickly. I just have, you guys mentioned everyone I was going to mention. So I just want to shout out two quarterbacks, both of which I feel like have become a little bit unsung as time has gone on. First one is Jeff Godfrey, which I'm sure you all know. He was UCF's quarterback for a while. And then uh, that guy Bailey mentioned, Blake Bortles came in and suddenly Jeff Godfrey wasn't the quarterback anymore. Which happens, but Godfrey really, which doesn't happen a lot, reinvented himself as one of UCF's best wide receivers. Over the next two years, he had 835 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. He was fourth in receiving yards for the 2013 team that went to the Fiesta Bowl. Really, really underrated guy that he had to completely redefine his role at UCF, and he did that. And it, like, how often does a quarterback get benched and remain a critical part of the team going forward? I'd say not very. And then you mentioned 2013, that, that game-winning touchdown catch against Louisville yeah, on the road. Yeah, massive moment, which yeah. I still think you go back to 2011 when Bortles and Godfrey were kind of competing for that starting role, and it kind of messed up the year. And then fast forward to this game against the top 10 team on the road, and there's a pass from one to the other to seal. It's just it's crazy to me. And the other one, which if you follow me on Twitter, you won't be surprised by this, is Daryl Mack. Um, he's still one of four UCF quarterbacks to win a conference championship game. And fans very quickly turned on him when Dylan Gabriel showed up, even a little bit before. Basically, UCF lost to LSU in the Fiesta Bowl by a touchdown. It was like, well, we need a new quarterback. Still not sure what's that about. Disappointing. But I'm really excited to see what he does at Old Dominion. I'm sure he'll do lots of great things because it's Old Dominion. And uh, (laughs) I just, I really hope that UCF fans remember him going forward because he won exactly as many conference championships here as McKenzie Milton did. And in a more yep. dominant fashion than Milton or Bortles, or Bortles didn't play in a conference championship game, <laughs> than any of the others did. Yeah, I didn't know absolutely. that Zach Winicky was on this podcast. That <laughs> I, that, we have a Hi, friend, Zach. Zach Winicky, who used to write for Night Sports Now. He's uh, working at a TV station in Illinois now, and he is the biggest Daryl Mac fan in the world. From day one, Mac rolled up on campus, and Zach was like, that's the future of UCF football. So I've never seen him as happy as the conference championship game. Love you, Zach. Um, we're going to move on and, and talk about, before we get into the uh, final wrap-up news, we're going to talk about our favorite UCF moments and games. And luckily for us, we were able to witness a lot of them firsthand, um, you know, over those 2017-18 seasons. Um, Sarah, I'll start with you. Like, what's, what's kind of a moment that just sticks out to you as your favorite UCF moment or game? There's so many. I mean, we covered UCF athletics during such an exciting stretch. It's hard to just pick one thing 
and oh, there's so many, but one that really sticks out is the war on I-4 in 2017, um, and just the madness that unfolded and what was going on in that game. And I think, you know, that was the first year that we kind of all did KSN together. I know we had worked together covering um, athletics a little bit before that, but that was like the first time that we did it um, as night sports now. And we were like, okay, we'll just try this and see if it works. And that semester even was just the most, that was the most, my favorite semester, um, my entire time at UCF. And that game was so insane. And I remember I was on the field taking photos for the first half. And then for the second half, I had to run up to the press box and I was writing like the immediate game recap, basically. And from being on the field, things were intense in the first half and then going up to the press box and the press box windows literally shaking um, after any t either team scored. I mean, the stadium was packed and that was just where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing right now like I'm so nervous I remember Christian was also in the press box and then he had to like go to the bathroom and miss like I don't even remember what you missed that is and, not what happened and I will be clarifying on my turn why I was not in the press box okay well I don't remember but then I was texting Christian and I'm like where are you and I, it was just so insane and also it was really like the cherry on top of this really fun semester that we had testing this out and seeing if it would work. Um, and then, yeah, and then Mike Hughes decided he was just going to run it back and the rest is history. But that, that's really like a highlight for me um, because it's in the middle of, of this season that was pretty unpredictable, unless Christian will tell you that he predicted the whole thing. So, um, so it's yeah. On Twitter. <laughs> okay, yeah, to be fair, circling back after Christian said he wanted – Mackenzie Milton bench and all of that with that awful opinion. He did say that UCF was going to run the table in 2017. I still don't know how he thought that was going to happen. I guess he thought Noah Vedrill was going to I said that they were going to start Noah Vedrill and they were going to go on. And that's, so that's, that's not exactly what happened, but you know, for, we'll give him credit for, for, yeah, he's one for two. That's Can I jump in real quick? And cause I was going to talk about the USF game was online. I feel like that's a natural lead in which Christian wasn't there when Mike yeah, Hughes yeah. returned the touchdown. <laughs> so back in 2017 on top of night sports. Now I had a lovely internship with the Orlando Sentinel. Truly, like, I, I, I think Sarah just remembered. <laughs> I love that internship so much. That was, like, my first real break into getting to write about serious stuff, and it was awesome. But also part of being an intern is you have to do intern things. And one of my intern things was, it, as the game was tied after USF got the two-point conversion, one of the Sentinel writers asked me, because there was going to be rush people, if I could go down to the press conference room and save them a seat so that they would have a seat in the front row for the press conference. So I went downstairs and the press conference doors were locked because it was like not time. So I was like, I guess I'll just stand outside the doors. And I was just like, I have no idea what's happening. I hope UCF's going to win because it was a tie game when I came down. And then, um, you know, you, you guys have all been in the bounce house. You know, those metal seats that just hear the rattling start, the rattling start. And I'm like, something's happening. And then it gets louder and louder. And then one of the cops they have for security around there, I see him just sprinting down the walkway in front of me towards the nearest TV. He's going, Hughes returned it. Hughes returned it. Hughes returned it. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? And then I ran and literally caught the replay on the TV next to the snack bar. So that was, uh, that was my big UCF moment was huge, hearing huge the moment. underneath version of Mike Hughes returning that touchdown. Yeah. So sad. That's so sad. Man, um, wait till um, you well, hear about the Memphis game the week the later. Polar, the polar opposite end of that. Sarah, she, she mentioned how she had to go back up to the press box during the second half to write the game recap. And I'm forever indebted to her for doing that because it allowed me to not cover that game. I was in the student section with a couple of my friends and I'm pretty sure when Mike Hughes returned that touchdown, I think I either went deaf for a second or my heart stopped or maybe both. I think I might've died. I might've had an out of body experience uh, when that happened and forever my, my favorite moment um, in UCF history. Of course the, the next week was great too with the Memphis game. I was covering that one. So a little bit of a different, uh, situation, a different response for me because I had to be a little bit more subdued uh, when Trey Neal picked off that pass to win the game. And then lastly, I'll just touch on this before Christian uh, wraps us up, but the the Peach Bowl, getting to go to the Peach Bowl with my best friend, shout out Matt, um, getting to go to the Peach Bowl with him and, and with his family. I'm just forever grateful for them taking me on that trip because I think my favorite just my favorite trip ever. It was amazing just to see this, that stadium was amazing though. The weather was cool. It was just a, a cool atmosphere, UCF Auburn, and then UCF decided to go on and win the game 
and that kicked off what we now know as the national championship season, which is weird to say that it kicked off a national championship season when it was the last game of the season, but that's what we remember the season as now. So um, yeah, just that three game stretch, I think just, it'll never be matched. It really won't. There, nothing will come close to that. And yeah, my, so I just had two more games I want to mention for a moment. The first one is 2016 SC state. Um, that game meant a lot to me because it was the first time that UCF wore its new uniforms. And that was really a, a formative moment for me in my life. And of course, can either of you tell me the combo? Um, hold on. Come on, guys. It was all, all white. It was a white. It was, it was all white. Uh, it was a white. Yep. It was a white. First, first frost. I just remembered his first uniform. But, um, and then my other one is just to touch on to the uh, Orlando Sentinel internship. My other favorite part of that was after the USF game a week later, we're back in the press box and I was like, this is going to be great. UCF Conference Championship game. And we got there and something happened with the seats because the Sentinel had a bunch of people there and it was like, oh, we're one seat short. So naturally as the intern, I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just stand in the back of the press box and see nothing because I'm the intern. You guys are actually writing stuff. And I'm like, yeah, of course, fine. So I, I watched that entire game from, you guys know the little Skycam things, right? The little like yeah. in the games that will fly around. The operator was in the press box and he had this big TV set up and what looked like a little like RC car remote thing to like fly a thing around. So I was like, well, he has a camera, so I just stood like over his shoulder, like peering into his thing for the for three hours and watched the entire game that way. And that was actually a great experience because like I, I really didn't know what was going on for a lot of the game. Like every time it happened, I was like, I wonder if that's a first down. And they're running up and I'm like, ah, sweet. <laughs> so those yeah. were my those were my favorite moments. Yeah, and obviously just we, we like like Sarah said, we covered UCF athletics during just the most fun time. And obviously, you know, we, we think there will be better times ahead. Um, but it just it was it was so much fun and, and getting to experience that firsthand was was fantastic and um so we're gonna go ahead and, and close this out we're gonna close the podcast out and move into the news section of the podcast not as much to get through this week thankfully so we'll try to just run through it pretty quickly um first of all the new roth athletic center opened up which you know that's pretty cool ucf getting new facilities um and you know that's uh, a, a big big thing for the championship resources department um, football wise, Richie Grant was named the top safety on the American team at the senior bowl voted by the quarterback and wide receiver groups. Um, obviously a big week for him. Unfortunately, uh, Aaron Robinson didn't dress out for the senior bowl. I don't know if he was, ha- had picked up a knock or something. Um, but in addition to the uh, big recruit we talked about earlier, uh, Zion Thomas closed out the 2021 class of defensive tackle out of Delray beach. And I think the biggest news of the week is the fact that college football video games are coming back they are coming back and that is just, I, we could have had a whole podcast about it because it's the most phenomenal news I've ever heard. I've um, legitimately wanted nothing more in my life than for that game to return. I, I like, I am so excited. I still, I know you, I don't know you, you do too, but I know you're on that yeah. FIFA life now, but we used to, just, <laughs> I mean, I still literally earlier today, I still, I still play NCAA 14 all the time and so, so excited that that game is going to give me a new way to waste hours of my life and create whatever UCF uniform combos I can dream up gonna be so much fun unfortunately it's a couple years away but you know it's the fact that it's coming back at all fantastic news um from volleyball they won 3-0 over unf both on saturday and sunday to improve to 3-0 on the year mckenna melville was named the aac offensive player of the week and narissa more of more of more i'm bad at that name named to the conference's uh weekly honor roll so congrats to both of them and you, volleyball also added a match to uh the schedule February 9th, this coming Tuesday, they'll play at Jacksonville University. Uh, men's soccer, they got a dressing room upgrade. Uh, I'm sure people have seen the video on Twitter by now of the players uh, checking out the, the new digs in there, and that's a, a really cool cool moment and uh, good for that program. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful locker room, man. I didn't even know that was coming when they were showing the Roth Athletic Center stuff, but yeah. I, just, I was just like, oh. I don't know. It's I like, like, <laughs> It reminds me of what we talk about where like the buy-in USF versus UCF. Like it's like UCF just UCF spends like a power five school. I don't know how much that's hurt them during the pandemic, but I, I just, it's, it's exciting to see stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is a thing too. That's cool. So <laughs> awesome there. Um, baseball, they announced their 2021 schedule. Finally, I am so thrilled about this. They have 56 games, 26 of them are at home and they start on February 19th against FAU. They also announced that Chris Cates is joining the uh, coaching staff. Uh, he's most recently an assistant at the University of Tampa, my hometown. Um, so big news there. South, softball, they also announced their schedule, and they've got a really fun one. 54 games, 25 at home. They start with a doubleheader next Saturday at Florida Gulf Coast. And they also have some big home dates against number seven, Florida, and number three, Arizona. So some uh, big opportunities there for some upset wins for that program. 
Uh, men's tennis, they lost five to two uh, to start their season against number 11 Florida last Friday, but then they rebounded with a 6-1 win over South Florida on Sunday, grabbing some more on I-4 points. They're up one spot to number 18 in the polls this week, and Gabriel DeCamps was named the AAC Player of the Week after a nice weekend. Women's tennis, they got off to a tough start last weekend, but they went 3-0 and this past weekend with a 4-3 win against number 21 Florida, a 7-0 win against Georgia Southern, and a 7-0 win against Old Dominion. And then uh, earlier today as we're recording this podcast, they won 7-0 over Stetson, so four straight wins for that program. Freshman Jaleesa Leslie named the AAC Player of the Week. She won the clinching match against number 21 Florida on Friday, and then she won her matches both on Saturday and Monday as well. Um, wrapping things up for the news, women's golf had a tough start to their 2021 season. Uh, 10th place, tied for 8th and 8th in their three days during the UCF Challenge. Virginia took home the tournament win. And we're going to wrap up like we always do with what's on the schedule before our next podcast, episode four. Uh, men's basketball will play Saturday at Tulsa and then Wednesday against Wichita State. So hoping that uh, they can kind of rebound a little bit and come back and kind of finish the season on a stronger note. Women's basketball, as of now, is supposed to play Wednesday against Wichita State and then Saturday at Cincinnati. Volleyball Friday and Saturday against Tulane this weekend. And then they'll play Tuesday and against the uh, – against Jacksonville in Jacksonville. That's the aforementioned added game that they have. Men's soccer is opening up the season at home on Saturday against Tulsa. On Sunday, women's soccer will play an exhibition against Miami. And then some tennis action. Men's tennis will play Sunday at Miami. And then women's tennis will play on Tuesday at Florida. So another busy week. Um, Things are about to get even busier when baseball and softball start. But yeah, um, Christian, Sarah, it's been a, a really fun podcast. Really enjoyed, uh, especially segment three, getting to go down memory lane with you two. Um, and Sarah, go ahead and let everybody know where uh, they can find you on Twitter and everything. Let everybody know what you're doing, what you're up to. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Kelleher4. Um, there's a lot of Packers stuff there. So, I, I mean, sure, if you want to follow me, that's great. <laughs> don't like the Packers like just don't do it uh because you're gonna mute me in like five seconds anyways um but I talk about some other stuff too so you might be interested in that yeah there you go Christian thank you yeah go check out her pin tweet yeah my pin tweet which is actually the day after that game that we were talking about earlier this who are they playing with the Greg who are they playing when Greg McRae posed for the Heisman photo South Carolina State I think right yes so it was the day after that game. That weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. I literally covered the UCF game, got home at like 1 a.m., woke up at 4.30, flew to Green Bay, went to the Bears-Packers game, and then that comeback happened, and my pinned tweet was born. So <laughs> there we go. But, yeah, no, thank, thank you so much for having me on. Um, whenever you guys want to chat, you know, I'm always down to come and talk about UCF with you guys. And this was fun and I, I've loved listening to the first couple of episodes and I'm excited to keep listening. And, you know, if you're listening you and you haven't given Bailey and Christian a five-star review or shared with your friends that they should listen to this podcast, then you should do that too, because they're awesome. Sarah is a really smart person. So you should listen to her. Um, really thankful Sarah for coming on. And I should have mentioned earlier, this is Sarah's first appearance on the Pegasus podcast, but it obviously will not be her last. So looking forward to more episodes with Sarah, of course, Christian and I will be back next week, but until then you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams, 22 at by CA Simmons at Sarah Kelleher four and at night sports now. And thank you guys for listening again to the Pegasus podcast. Bye everybody.